The local church is a collection of people who are being transformed by Jesus, who live in a community purposefully to model and proclaim Jesus. Scripture tells us to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. Every story is unique. Each person is an individual who has met Jesus. All of us have strengths and weaknesses. Together, we are the church, and these are our stories. Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. I'm Jeff Luddington, and today I have Jeff Parrish. If you're from Generations Church, you may see this fine-looking gentleman behind a guitar, a bass, you name it. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you very much. Appreciate you having me. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Just part of our early Tuesday morning group, and so we get to spend some time together. I know that his story, um, it speaks to me. I know it's going to speak to you, and so I'm just going to ask you, Jeff, just take us back to the beginning. Um, how does your story begin? Well, my story begins here in Southern California. My parents were Baptist um, in denomination. My father was a music minister. Um, I was born in 1959, so it was a little bit before that that he got started. But uh, I was raised, basically, that means I was raised in a church. I knew a lot about the Bible. I heard scripture. I sang hymns, all those things that go along with church. Um, my family moved to different places. We went to Idaho after being here in Southern California for a little while. And... Um, well, let me jump in there. So... If people don't really know the difference, okay, a Methodist church, a Baptist church, a Calvary Chapel, whatever, describe for me your Baptist upbringing. So def just, you know, not theologically necessarily, but your experience of being raised in this Baptist church. I'm not sure exactly how to do that, but <clears throat> um, my father was doing music a lot. He was a choir director. I learned how to sing as a result of that. My mother was a very supportive wife, the wife of a minister. Um, she would often read to us out of the Bible. We'd go to church on Sundays, oftentimes prayer meetings on Wednesdays, those kinds of things. So an overall good experience with Christianity for you in your, in your childhood? I would say yes, it was. Okay. Yeah. All right. At that point. So then take me forward to... Uh, so where does this Christian upbringing lead you to? Does it lead you straight into faith or tell me how that goes? Well, actually, when I was about 10 years old in 1969, my mother and father made the decision to get into a very legalistic home church. Um, it was based on a very narrowly interpreted view of the scriptures and everything that was done, all the, the doctrines that were set up, had some kind of scriptural basis behind them. Um, I can describe that as a heavy weight. It was mm. as if I was in chains, big burden to bear. And it, I, I found that it was very personal based on if I was good enough, if my works were good enough, then I was saved. So legalism, if it's a term that you're listening to and, and are unfamiliar with, it typically is defined as making rules that go beyond where scripture makes rules. Now, I would say that's probably a good definition, except most people that are very legalistic, they use scripture in such a way that brings them to those conclusions. That's what I'm hearing from you, is they took very narrow, literal 
ways about Scripture. Very and much that, so. And that left you with a burden. A burden, yes. And that burden, I mean, well, for instance, um, this Scripture talks about Jesus sending his disciples out two by two. Mm-hmm. And so they interpret that to mean all preaching has to be done in twos and be sent out as homeless itinerant ministers. Okay. So taking something in Scripture you can actually find in Scripture, but developing a doctrine out of it that is very rigid, legalistic, often works-based, and then the outcome Mm -hmm. typically, like you, is um, wondering, am I good enough? Does God love me based on my performance? All these things. So, Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So how does that, I know that comes to an end, so bring me to that place. So how does that season kind of change on you? Well, dealing with that burden and understanding that this is just not doing anything for my heart, um, I got to the point where I had studied science a lot. I'd become a science teacher. Um, I liked the rational thought methodologies of coming to conclusions, the evidence-based methodologies. And I just figured that'll answer all the questions I have in life. Science will do that for me. And so I, I rejected everything that had to do with religion and God. I just said, it's just not worth my time to do that anymore. So were there evidences, and I'm going to use the term because I know what you're talking about here, if people that are listening may not, but the two by two that you get to, that kind of place where it gets very burdening, very legalistic, was there evidence of Jesus in that, at least in your home? Like, did you see evidence of the gospel working its way out in your family? Um, I didn't because it didn't provide me anything to lean on, to grasp hold of. Um, I was having a very difficult relationship with with a woman who was in the two-by-two religion, and there was not a lot of peace in our home. There's not a lot of peace in our hearts. Hmm. So I didn't see the value of doing those things. Yeah. In my experience, in in very legalistic settings, um, there's a there's oftentimes just a layer of hypocrisy. There's a lot of rules for you, a lot of things, but they're not being lived out. Yes, I, I agree with that too. And one of the crisis moments was um, finding out that my father was uh, doing some homosexual behavior, even claiming he was a pastor, even claiming he was a believer. Um, so that was that soured me a lot. Yeah, and so to qualify that a bit, depending upon who's listening and what they're thinking about your statement there. So your dad is married to your mom. That's correct. And you have six siblings, you and five others, or however that would be, mm-hmm. you and five, you and six, whatever you just said. So there's a six lot of, of total. So six total, okay. Others. In a very legalistic home, using scripture in ways that are very rigid, I would assume then saying, they would say homosexuality is wrong. They would say cheating on your spouse is wrong. All oh, those things. Yes. And yet he's doing it. Yet he's doing it. So the hypocrisy, not the actual sin itself, but the hypocrisy draws you away from Christ. It leads me to the conclusion that this doesn't do anything for a person. Why do I need to pursue this kinds of activity? For sure. I can be a hypocrite and sleep in on Sundays. Sure. Absolutely. All right. So you find fulfillment in science. And so tell me a bit about that. So it takes you on a journey into science. Um, yes. And I, I discovered all kinds of things I didn't know about the universe, about how life works, about you know, astronomy, about physics and all kinds of different things. 
and it's very evidence-based. Science is, is supposed to take human emotion out of the equation so that the evidence that <clears throat> is presented or is discovered is used to make a conclusion, is used to make an argument. Um, unfortunately, science can't answer the big question, and that is, where did this Big Bang start? Sure. Because physics tells us there has to be a mover behind the action. Yeah. And there just, there just isn't in that case. And there's no way that science can answer that question because of the limitations of our technology and, and of our universe, the way it's set up. And so I'm left with this, well, the big question really can't be answered. And so, um, you know, looking back on it, I realized that I, I, have to, I have to believe mm -hmm. there has to be some faith in order to um, answer that question. So you not only embrace science for fun, but you do it vocationally. You end up becoming a science teacher. You mm -hmm. taught, is it public school or? I taught in public school, junior high school kids, seventh okay. and eighth graders. They're a handful. All right. You're, and so if you're <laughs> listening and you don't know Jeff now, he's retired from that. Um, at this point, <clears throat> excuse me, at this point when you are a science teacher, would you conclude that you're an atheist or are, have you completely walked away from Jesus? I would, I would. Say that that's a fair evaluation, yes. Okay, it wasn't a, happening. You didn't go by the t-shirt that says atheist, but... No, I wasn't, you know, displaying okay. it publicly. That, hey, I'm an atheist, but it's just... I rejected okay. God and the whole religious thing. Fair enough. I met you here through the church as a believer, and so something changes between, you know, kind of the fallout with hypocrisy and the version of Christianity you experienced and clearly something that is different that brings you back to Jesus. So how does that come about? Well, I was playing in a classic rock band and the drummer is a believer, still is, I still know him. And he kept inviting me to come to church, you know, come listen to the praise band. And I kept saying, no, 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 I don't want to do that. Yeah, just a couple of weeks later, he'd say, hey, come, come listen to the praise band. I think you'll enjoy it. I'm like, no, I don't want to go to churches. And Finally, I, I gave in, and I got dressed up in my Sunday clothes. That's what I was taught to do. As every good Baptist does? Yes, okay. every good Baptist has got a you know, suit and tie. <clears throat> I arrived late at the church on purpose because I didn't want to talk with people, and I sat in the very back corner so I could make a quick getaway after the service <laughs> was done. <laughs> That's kind of comical looking back on it. But I, I distinctly remember it was as if the pastor heaved a stone at me and it hit me in the forehead because he preached about forgiveness. And, you know, people say, how did the, how did the pastor, why were they talking to me? Yeah. So, well, the pastor just happened to, I, I believe it God's direction, have that message that I needed to hear. There were forgiveness mm -hmm. issues in my life. That was the problem. It wasn't the science. It wasn't the religion. It was forgiveness issues in my life. Hmm. So, what? So to know you today is know you're a musician. As we started off, we said that earlier. And so, your friend you're in a band with draws you in. Hey, come listen to the worship. So, you arrive, and it's not worship that changes you, but the message kind of hits your heart. Um, forgiveness is this specific to your dad? I mean, that's the issue you brought up. Is it forgiveness of him? Forgiveness of what? Well, it started, yes, with, with my father because there was a lot of estrangement between he and I. 
um, I had a hard time forgiving him and accepting him. Hmm. I did go out ex- right after that service. I went to the cemetery because he had already passed away at that point. But it was useful to go and just admit I'm not the perfect son. I was I was not the perfect son. So please forgive me, and I forgive you. That that saying that I forgive you was such a release. I forgive you for not being the perfect dad. Hmm. None of us are perfect. You just don't do it all. None of us have the playbook. Yeah. Well, I know, um, just because we know each other and, and we spend time together, I know a piece of your story that I, I haven't really, until until you, I haven't really asked for someone to share a particular part of the story. Um, but uh, you, some point after that, uh, so shortly after that at some point, you end up marrying a woman named Lori. Would you tell me, did you meet her in the church? I met Lori online on ChristianMingle.com. So okay. it was it was religious-based. Um, come to find out after we had met each other that we had um, some common friends. In fact, one of the guitarists that played in the band was thinking of setting us up. I didn't That's know that funny. until later. Yeah. <laughs> it's very interesting. Um, so we didn't go to church together, although we had right. likely been in church services together and didn't know each other. Okay. So if you're listening and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, I know Jeff and Alana, well, this is before that. So before Alana, there was a woman named Lori who you married. I married in 2013. Mm-hmm. In 2013. And then um, marriage did not turn out in every way what you thought it was going to be. It That's an not. understatement. Can you tell us about that? I had had a difficult relationship and there, unfortunately there was a divorce. Um, not with Lori. Not with Lori. But when I met Lori, Lori was the kind of person that loved people and she loved people in an unconditional way Hmm. and she cared about me and it was easy to tell because she had done something she'd called me when I'd made a mistake about who she was and and getting to know her and apologized to me for something that just out of the blue and I thought wow this this is somebody who's got some heart who would feel that she needed to apologize for something that she had said to me. And she didn't even know me from Adam. So it's like, that's a keeper. She's a keeper. So you get married, and then what? Um, We lived together in Visalia. She's a dental hygienist. I was still teaching. And um, one morning she was having trouble saying some words, Hmm. and her face was drooping a little bit. And I'd encourage her to go see the doctor and she said no I'll go after I'll go after work but when she got to work her co-workers recognized there was something going on and they they insisted that she go to the emergency room and and as a result of that we found out she had glioblastoma a very aggressive form of brain cancer okay so you had been married three or four years at this point about four years about four years and you get a diagnosis and I'm not even going to try and repeat that word but there's a brain cancer (laughs) and the prognosis is what um, glioblastoma is not a curable cancer. Okay. It is known in the medical community that a person does not have very long to live with that. Okay. So you guys are both Christians. Right. You're now in a church together, whatever mm-hmm. church you're a part of, and you've been married for four years. I'm guessing highs and lows, and everybody else of highs and lows. everybody but does. You have a good marriage, yes. and you get a very mm-hmm. bad diagnosis. Your wife is now dying. And so it, first, two questions here. One, um, I know that she does die. So tell us a little bit about that. And then how does this engage your faith? 
the, the family had a difficult time accepting the diagnosis and the prognosis. Um, having had some experience with the medical community before, I, I knew that the doctors knew pretty much what they were talking about. They had a lot of experience with this, this kind of thing. So I asked them at point blank, what am I looking at here? And they said, between 12 and 14 months. Hmm. And so that actually, actually knowing that was a good thing because it gave me time to prepare and do some things that were important. One of the important things that I did for her was I made it my mission that she would end her, her life, her final days, with dignity and respect. Okay. I wanted her to, to be able to say goodbyes if she needed to, to make amends if she needed to, to know that I loved her if I needed to. But all this is predicated on my favorite verse in the Bible, and that's Romans 8, 28, where it says God works together all things for, for, for the good. And that word all is a very important right there. Yeah. Um, it means we, we like the, the wonderful things that being a Christian, being, having faith brings, but there are difficulties in life. But they have something for us. They have lessons to, to teach us, maybe getting to know God better, deepening the relationship with God. However, um, one of the things that I did see playing out in that verse was there was some reconciliation between Lori and her children and between me and her children, okay. getting to know them better. So I saw that just right from the start. So I'm gonna, I don't know how people hearing this are gonna hear this. I, I, and again, so I have to, if you don't know me and you're listening to this, however you stumbled across the podcast, um, I have a wife who's chronically ill and it's gone on for uh, 19 years. And so I've spent time thinking through some of the things. We had some possible diagnoses. One of them actually was a brain cancer forever ago. And I just remember the thoughts that go through your mind. And, and so this may sound weird to some, others will totally understand it, but a timeline sometimes can be helpful. You're like, okay, I got a year, right? I got 14 months, or I got whatever I have. How do I spend it? When things are unknown, you can't just like, okay, this may take someone, this may not. You can't just quit your job, you know, and go do whatever. But if you get a timeline, you actually can think through it. And you just name some really good things like you know, reconciling with kids or is she sure that I love her? Have I told her enough? Right. You know, that on the other side of her life, I'm not going to regret not having said I love you at least one more time. I'm sure we all say I wish I could say it one more time. But for the most part, you got to make sure she knew that. Is that fair? I did, yes. And having a time like that, line like that does give a person a, a certain sense of urgency that there's work that needs to be done, and I need to do it. Okay. So Lori does pass away. It's about 14 months, so the right. doctors were fairly accurate on that. Yes, they were. And um, where, where are you, like before, during, after, where are you in your faith? And the reason I ask that is, especially after Lori passes, I know some who would really be angry with God and and maybe reject their faith, like, hey, man, I was doing everything, I was in church, I was doing this, I was doing that, and you took my wife. I mean, I've, I've heard some angry statements. Um, I've seen people lean into Jesus in, in hard moments. Where, where were you? Well, like I said, that verse is, is a lifeline to me. Um, it has helped me trust God. It has helped me see life differently. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that a person suffers loss mm. and knows the grief. And grief is a very 
it's an overwhelming thing. Uh, we, we use the word that really doesn't quite express what happens to a person. Um, I experienced this overwhelming sense of loss that would just come over me and the tears would come and the despair would come. The thing that kept me going through those times were the promises we have in the Bible. And I just cry, I lift my hands up in the air and look up and cry out, Lord, I know she wanted, she loved you. I know she wanted to be with you and that's where she's at. I know you hold her firmly in the palm of your hand and nothing is going to change that. And I know that I will see her again one day. And those things, saying those again and again, I mean, there were times I'd be driving down the road and I have to pull over and say yeah. that again. It gave me a lot of comfort. Okay. Help me get through those times. So how does a science guy in a moment really, I'm gonna call faith-based, um, how do you reconcile your, the way you think, which is evidentiary, right? Which is, hey, if I can see it, if I can prove it, if I can experience it, whatever that might be, I can believe it. And yet you have this very faith-filled, uh, well, you have this very hope-filled faith in that season of, of, of your, I'm assuming that's like the hardest trial in your life is losing your spouse. Like I'm just making uh, that is, assumption. It is very difficult. So how does a non-science based solution like, okay, this is you, God, this is you, God, I can trust you, God. How does that, how do you do that with a scientific mind? Does that question make sense? Sure. I think it goes back to what I said. I think I said it before about science doesn't or can't answer all of our questions. Um, like, for instance, you know, the scientific story of the universe happening is the Big Bang, but before that, there's an unanswered question. Right. So that leaves a person with a dilemma. How do you reconcile that? Well, the way that I've reconciled it is to believe that there's a creator, that there's a God. Well, what keeps me with that? What keeps me with that is something has happened to my heart. Something has happened to my life as a result of that. There's, there's evidence in my life. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And so you have this verse that you cling to, and um, I think this verse is misused more than it's used appropriately. But Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purposes. You use it in a very healthy way. Like you, if I were to look at you and your wife just passed or your wife is dying, and to say, "Listen." God works out everything for your good. You're like, I don't need to hear that right now. But you, in the moment, saying, okay, God, I know that you work things out for my good when I'm called according to your purposes, that you'll use this. Like, that can be hopeful, right? When we use things as cliches and Twitter-sized solutions, we tend to do damage. But when you, yourself, personally cling to Scripture in that, like you said, you have a lifeline. It has been a lifeline, and I hesitate to say that because it does come across as cliche often. Um, sometimes just saying, you know, if I encounter people who are going through that process, I've been there. I understand mm. what you're going yeah. through. Then that leads to the opportunity of, of giving them that hope mm, with I that like verse. That. So somebody meets you today. If somebody knows you today, they may know you through church. If they're listening to this podcast, the you know, the likely chance that they know you through the church, if they know you, is pretty high. And so to know you today is to know Jeff and Alana Parrish. And so somewhere after the loss of Lori, uh, you meet and marry Alana. How did you get to that place? 
Well, in 2019, it was about a year after Lori had passed, my brother and I decided to take a trip through the western United States. We had lived in Idaho and Utah. We wanted to go visit some childhood places. And I had just begun to get to know Alana through another website called Zeusk for Seniors. And we had, um, you have to sift through a lot, a lot of profiles. I imagine. <laughs> but Alana had a profile that, from what she said, I could tell she was being transparent, she was being honest. And just before the trip happened, um, my son had had a major psychotic episode and I told Alana about this and she did she did actually the same thing that Lori did. She gave me her phone number without even having met me before. She says, if you need anything, here's my phone number. Mm. And I thought the same thing. She doesn't know me from Adam and yet she has the graciousness and the kindness in her heart to extend that to me. Mm. That's so, really cool. Yeah. You guys have been married. Uh, you got married before COVID, so we're coming. Like we're around three years, right? Right. So, I know you and Alana, and what I see is um, kind of a, an enjoying retirement. Uh, you're only sixty-three, but you are retired. I am and retired. So, you're a young retired. You're an active retired, and uh, I mean, you still play music all the time. You do things. You guys travel. When someone looks from the outside, I think there's, there they may have a question. Maybe they're in a circumstances that fosters this question, or maybe just from the outside, they're they're wondering, okay, how do you go from losing someone you love so deeply to being in love again? And and I'm going to ask this question. I'm just going to kind of hedge it with, I know you, and what I don't see are any of the unhealthy patterns like the loss of a loved one and then jumping into a brand new relationship too soon. Like I, none of the unhealthy things, I see a healthy grieving, a healthy loss between you and Lori, or well, of for you, of Lori. I saw some healthy dating and marriage now and I see a healthy relationship. And so how does that take place? How does that happen where you can have loved somebody so deeply, lost them, and how do you I'm not going to say move on because I don't like that language, but I'm going to say like kind of go to the next chapter. Well, my brother asked me something similar to that when we were on our trip because um, he was having a hard time getting his head around that too. And when I thought about it, I just I just had to tell him, you know, um, Craig, I when Lori was alive, my energies were to that relationship, but she's not alive anymore. So my energies go somewhere else. I don't, that doesn't mean I don't love her. That doesn't mean I don't think about her and remember her or that I'm trying to forget her. I don't want to. Those are very, very happy moments in my mm -hmm. life. But my energies, the love that I have that is an action toward another person is toward Alana right now. Mm. Because I want that to flourish and grow and, and to, for us to share the love between each other, to give each other um, our time and our energies and our attention. Is there, I think someone, I don't have this question, I think someone might ask this question. Is there a sense by moving to the next, by remarrying, do you forget the one you loved first? You know, that Lori, do you forget any of that? 
Does that question make sense? No, I, I, I've heard people say, you know, they, like uh, if Lori's family sees you move on, do they? They might sense like you're forgetting Lori, and and I don't think I don't see that in you. I've kind of wondered about that if if they might have that sentiment too, but I don't. I haven't forgotten Lori. Um, there are many things that that remind me of her, and for Alana's sake, I have to keep myself from saying, "Oh, that reminds me of." Sure. Yeah, because it. I, I kind of wonder if it might make her think that you know, our relationship is less important, and it's not. But I do remember her a lot. Yeah. Most every day, something yeah. something happens. Either I remember her, or part of her family, or something that was said. Good times that were happening, even some of the difficult times, because mm-hmm. there were some difficult times that of were course. good lessons. <laughs> yeah. You know, I it's almost ten years uh, since my best friend committed suicide, and I think about him all the time. Right, and so, you know, the I don't think forgetting, I don't think forgetting is an option. I can't even imagine with a spouse, right? So, I don't think forgetting is an option. I think people bury things, and that's not healthy. Um, but what I see in you is a healthy grief, and now a new healthy marriage. Um, I would love to, and this isn't a question I can ask you, but if we get a chance to ever sit down with Alana. How does it? How does it? How do you become a wife uh, when someone's lost a loved one? How do you? How does that? You know, how does that make you feel? How do you not compare? And I liked your what you just said was, you know, you can't say, "Oh, that reminds me of Lori," right? Because that's that's not good, right? And and that doesn't mean it doesn't remind you, but there's a right and a wrong time to say that. And I see, and I see this in not just you guys, but in others. Like there is a healthy way to, for lack of better terms, be the next wife in, in a healthy setting, I think Alana feels deeply loved by you, right? And, and that she is special I to that you. From her. Yes. Right. And I see that. And I, I see the joy you guys have. And so lots of people live in what I'm just going to kind of deem a plan B. Plan A was you and Lori still here, right? Plan B, that didn't work. Now you are very happy and in love with Alana. How do we take the hand that, that God has dealt us and how do we live it out the best that we can? And I think what I see is you guys doing that. And so I want to ask you just for those that are listening right now and either they've lost a loved one, could be a parent or a, a child or a spouse or a friend or whatever it might be, but they're wrestling with the grief. What would you say to them? And how would you speak to the hope of life in Christ after, and when I say after the grief, you still have grief, but after some time and healing, the hope of new life on the other side. So what would you say to those grieving? And what would you say to those who can't see the hope or the, you know, that I hate to say the light at the end of the tunnel, but the the hope on the other side of grieving and healing, at least somewhat. You know, the scripture tells us that um, Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren, which tells me that he wants me to look like Jesus. Mm. It's easy to get overwhelmed with difficult things in life. But it's been said to me, and I've often had to say it to myself, it is every experience that I've been through to this point that have made me who I am today. If I took away those difficult things, I mm. wouldn't be who I am today. Let me interject. So 
a good husband to Alana is somewhat prefaced upon your experiences in the past. Yes. Could be over burying Lori mm -hmm. and grieving and loving her makes you a better husband today. That's a fair yeah. statement. Even the, the difficulties I had in my first marriage, those are things that, right. that's not a good road to travel down. This is what fair happened enough. because of that. Yeah, failures and successes, yeah. good, okay. Mm -hmm. So for those who, wherever they are in life, they just haven't gotten to the place where the healing has allowed them to see new life and hope in it, what would you say to them? I'd advise them to seek out someone who's been through the experience and listen carefully to what they say. Mm. Um, especially somebody that they see as, you know, they have gone through this, and but yet they've had a different, maybe a different outlook or a different outcome that I'm experiencing right now. What is it mm. that, that has allowed you to do that? And, and if, the, if they ask me that, that's when I go to that verse, that's that good. God has helped me through those things that having him in my heart has helped me deal with that, that sorrow and that grief that just can be overwhelming. Hmm. That's incredibly insightful. And I, you said something, it was small, but I, I want to make more of it. Um, first, you said your past marriage experiences that were negative, as well as your past marriage experiences that are positive, both shape you into being a better husband today. And in the same way, talking to people uh, both who have had your experience and have had different experiences are beneficial. If you're struggling talking to people, not just with an outcome, but who have had a variety of outcomes, but who have been through it, can provide insight, positive or negative, but can sure. provide insight into how to walk through it. You know, the person that I go to is a person who taught me that verse. That's my mother. And she went through some very difficult things with my father, and she lived through his passing. And one of the things that she's told me recently is that, and it goes back to the verse, God doesn't waste any experience. Hmm. Every experience can be used, and it's used for his, for his glory, for his purpose, and for our good. It tells us it's for our good. So a sovereign God working things out for our good. I love that. I can, I can end on that note. That's a, that's a place to plant a flag for me. And Jeff, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Man, I just even opening up and I want to say thank you to Alana. Um, even though she's not here right now, just thank you to her allowing this story to be a story that can be shared. And, sure. Um, May I say one more thing? Please. If there's anybody listening who would like to speak to me about this, I'm, I'm completely open to that, if it would be helpful to you. Yeah, and as always, we have um, questions at generations.email. You can reach out to me through that email address. You can info at generations.email goes to our admin office, and you can always reach out and say, hey, I heard this story. Could you put me in contact with that person? And I would be glad to pass that along to you or if somebody else's story, same idea, I'd be glad to take your information and pass that along. Um, I think everybody that we've talked to so far would be wide open to talking to somebody else who's struggling. So thank sure. you for saying that, You're I appreciate it. Well, thank you to lis for listening to this episode of Stories of Faith, where listening to how Jesus has impacted the lives of people inside Generations Church. And each story of grace has its own narrative, this own place where people can 
connect with and resonate with others. And so one story touches one person in a way where another story reaches another person. And so keep listening. We have a new episode every Tuesday. And I just want to say thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. Thank you for listening to this story about how Jesus made a difference. Generations Church is filled with ordinary people who met an extraordinary Savior. Subscribe so you don't miss a single story. Would you stop and share this with one friend today? The story of Jesus is most easily seen in the lives of people who know Him.